0: Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, you'll find that on page 1139, so 1139 is where you find 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read the first 20 verses, and again, keep in mind, it's the communion of the saints that is before us, what it is that we confess, when in the work of the Holy Spirit, as we've already seen, we think about who He is, the Holy Spirit, and then we think about His ministry. And we have already begun to see something of that when we studied last week uh, question and answer 54 in the Holy Catholic Church. Today we're going to study the communion of the saints. But before we read that, let's ask the Lord for a blessing on His Word. Shall we pray? Eternal Father, who has spoken in various times and in various ways to Your people, who has spoken these things in the past, But in the present, Lord, in these last days, have spoken through your Son, your incarnate word. We pray that you will open the mouth of your servant now that he might proclaim that word in the power of your spirit. And we pray that this same spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and to write it on their hearts, even as you've promised. And so work in us what you have given us in Jesus Christ according to your will and word, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Then let's read from 1 Corinthians 12, at verse 1. Hear the word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as, it is, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Then to question and answer 55, we're going to recite together the answer. You can find that on page 222 or page 881, 222 in the Forms and Prayers books, 881 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Just the one question and answer, question and answer 55 from Lord's Day 21, we're going to answer the question that is asked together, and that question is this, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. This the church does believe. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ our Lord, we live in a time, and it has been this way for some time, where personality, dynamism, charisma are valued and are characteristics of the greatest importance. Substance is of less importance, you think, in terms of the upcoming elections or any uh, election that we might participate in. We know that the people that are chosen to run in provincial, federal, even municipal elections tend to be very polished, very put together. They appear very able. They have the kind of dynamism and charisma that is necessary to hold the attention of the masses and to convince people of their position. Uh, it is the nature of our society. They worship at the cults of personality and in a world like that where we see that people of a particular appearance of a particular ability are the ones that are hailed as the great members of society we can find ourselves sometimes looking in the mirror and realizing that we're never going to be quite so good that we are never going to be the lead actor in a movie we might have a bit place maybe Maybe we can be a character actor who isn't quite as attractive, who isn't quite as gifted, but who nonetheless fills an important role in the play or in the movie. We live in a society where success uh, has a particular look and a particular sound and we don't have that sound and we don't have that look and so we don't have that gift. We are just ordinary folk. And indeed, in such a world, ordinary is seen as less than valuable, as less than worthy, as something almost to be looked down upon. You need to do something great. You need to make your mark. You need to leave something behind. You need to stand out. And this in the Christian community comes to mean also That there are those in our Christian community who have particular gifts and abilities. Those preachers, those persons, those podcast speakers, those women or men that have particularly charismatic gifts and who can really uh, have a powerful ministry and global influence. And then there's the rest of us who are just busy going about our day-to-day life. Ordinary, boring, unexciting, unmeaningful work and then we come to church on sunday and we have before us not only the water of baptism which has said a word to dean dean hasn't done a thing yet dean's beautiful dean's lovely but he hasn't accomplished anything yet and yet god has said you are a prince among my people dean has been announced before us as one who is great for the blessedness bestowed upon him by his father in heaven That makes Dean special, you understand. That makes Dean extremely special as a human being. And the ordinary suddenly becomes extraordinary. And we come to church and we hear our confession. We make our confession concerning the work of the Holy Spirit and His ministry within the church that He brings a communion together. He gifts us with blessings that we might have the communion of the saints. And we discover that in fact the ordinary is extraordinary. It's almost super, it is indeed supernatural. It is a gift beyond consideration within our world, beyond finding in our society and in our culture. And we see that ordinary is in fact extraordinary. We see that when we consider how the gifted believers of the church serve each other, noting first of all their source of giftedness. The source of their giftedness, which, as the catechism reminds us, is from Christ. It says, first, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ, the Lord have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. When we think of the communion of the saints, we are to think, first of all, of the communion of God's people, the church, with their head, Jesus Christ. And when we, are, when we think about that, of that, we are to think of that in comprehensive terms. That's what the catechism also says to us. Notice that it speaks of believers one and all. That includes, you understand, everyone who calls upon Lord, or Jesus as Lord. Every one of us who calls Jesus our King, who confesses faith in Jesus Christ, whether in this congregation or anywhere else in this world, we are all in Christ. And we receive being in Christ all His treasures and gifts now let that thought for a moment just wave over your mind every believer one and all we're told it's comprehensive receives as the catechism all his treasures and gifts not that we individually receive all his treasures and gifts that is we each don't get all god's or christ's treasures and gifts but christ's treasures and gifts are poured out upon the congregation in comprehensive form. There is no part of Christ's treasure that he withholds from the body of believers. And the reason the catechism can make so profound and so remarkable a statement has nothing to do with us. We're not talking about our own abilities or gifts here. We're not talking about gifts or qualities that we enjoy by virtue of being image bearers of God albeit shattered image-bearers, broken image-bearers. Even as the husk of the people that we were in the beginning originally, we still now demonstrate the blessings of our identity as image-bearers of God in sometimes lesser and in sometimes greater ways such that all of humanity, all men, demonstrate in one way or another The gifts of being an image bearer of God. This is basic human qualities like compassion, understanding, and even community. You will find those things in every part of the world. Wherever humanity is found, this dim light of our being an image bearer shines even in the darkness. It is a dim light. It is not a light enough to save us. You can't use it to find your way to the cross but it does still reflect the truth of who God is and who, of who we are as His creatures. And we're not talking about that. We're not, that's not the gifts we're talking about. What we're talking about are those things that only Jesus Christ can provide, that only Christians can enjoy. We're talking about deliverance of sin, obviously, first of all. First and foremost, we're talking about what it means to know that our sins have been washed clean. That is the first great gift of Jesus Christ. We can talk about our confidence in eternity. We can talk about our place that is being prepared for us, that mansion of glory. We can talk about that gift too. But we can also talk about things like selflessness, selfless love in the church. We can talk about confident leadership in the home. We can talk about courageous kindness in community. We can talk about humble faithfulness to each other. We can talk about persistent self-control in our walk with the Lord. We can talk about insightful discernment among those who have been given that gift. We can talk about people with inspiring faith. Maybe you heard that when we read through 1 Corinthians 12. The apostle says, some are given faith. And you say, wait, aren't all given faith? Well, this is a different kind of faith. This is that inspiring faith. Those kind of people whose grasp upon the Lord draws all of us in their wake because of their passion for Jesus Christ we're talking about those things you cannot have by nature but can only have by grace those things that only are ours because Jesus Christ came and as our representative stood before God's face and made payment for our sins and earned for himself how many times doesn't the scripture speak about Jesus receiving the gifts earning for himself all the blessing of God's favor, which he then liberally distributes to his people so that we may have these blessings. Blessings like what we've read in 1 Corinthians 12. Blessings that we can find in other pa- on other pages of Scripture, including in Galatians chapter 5, where we speak of the fruit of the Spirit, including in Ephesians chapter 4, where maybe we're a little bit surprised to, re- to hear that one of the gifts that the Lord gives to His people is this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. We can read many passages where the gifts of our being blessed are provided in the Word of God to us, all of them being found only through faith in Jesus Christ. All of which means, you understand, that in this congregation there is only one kind of Christian, and that is a gifted Christian. Those who are gifted with a blessing of Jesus Christ for the purpose of blessing others. Those who have been given not greater gifts, not lesser ones, not worthier blessedness, not less worthy blessedness. There are no two, three, or four tiers of Christians in the church. There are just Christians who have been given gifts for the purpose of serving each of us before we knew christ was an empty dead sinner but each of us in jesus christ has not only been made alive by faith or by the spirit of christ but has been given a gift to use a blessedness to contribute to the congregation's well-being and in this way We are restored to a fuller expression of our humanity than can be found apart from Jesus Christ. Our humanity is most fully expressed when in faith we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand that we were created to be in society and in community and in fellowship. If we can borrow from the words of God in Genesis 2, it's not good that man should be alone. Meaning now humanity, not men. And there's a good reason for why that's said and that is because we worship we image a triune god and a triune god is a god of society of community of companionship he who is triune has made us to be like him and we live in fellowship in community in relationship with each other by our createdness by our being image bearers of god sadly Our choice to sin brings that into into struggle and into brokenness. Sin, you know, creates isolation. Sin creates division. Sin brings loneliness. That was immediately evident after the fall into sin when men and women were separated not only from God, but from each other. That is evident in all our lives too as we struggle with the effects of social media, as we struggle with the effects of this increasingly divisive society. We all face issues with respect to mental health, well-being, with anxiety. We think about the anti-social media. We think about being in contact with billions, but having meaningful bonds with fewer and fewer people. We can live in the midst of a community as large as our own and yet feel like we're all on our own. The church more and more deals with the struggle of divorce. The church more and more deals with the tension between families. The church more and more experiences division all of which testify to the sinfulness of humanity and the way in which our rebellion against God does not bless but curses. What a wonder it is then for us to be able to come to church each Lord's Day and to be reminded that we have been purchased, to see in the water of baptism that we have been claimed by God so that we are included in this company and are redeemed in Jesus Christ from the isolation and emptiness that sin produces. That his sacrificial love on the cross and even now creates a community. That his spirit flows into every element of his body, giving life to every part, every branch upon the vine, bearing fruit and blessing all around. That in Jesus Christ, because of his defeat of sin and death, true community is again possible on this earth in a dead and dying world resurrection life comes to power in jesus christ community that is healing and healthy not the product of a sinful attempt at recreating community make no mistake there are lots of small tribalistic communities within our world there are lots of isolated communities where uniformity is the rule where you have to buy in or you'll be canceled you have to agree or we'll put you out But in Jesus Christ, there is an international. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All around us, we see the power of God's saving work in bringing us together. Indeed, all around us within our world are echoes of Christ's healing work on display. From cults to communes, from countries to colleges, the heart of man longs to live in a peaceful and productive community. And for a time, it seems as though they found it, and then it crashes down upon their heads. Some of us still remember what the USSR was. Yet here, not only does God establish a community that embraces far more more people and far more diversity, but here Jesus Christ forgives. Here Jesus Christ equips. Here Jesus Christ heals. Here Jesus Christ gives that we might give back to Him. He frees us from the selfishness and the sinfulness that defines our lives. And He calls us and recreates us to live in fellowship with one another. That's what the church is about. We're not particularly good at it, to be sure. Not until Christ returns will there be true shalom, true community, love, and fellowship. But already into the darkness of this world, the flickering light of God's saving grace shines because there is a beginning, a foundation is laid that shows the outlines of the home that is being built for us and the freedom that is ours in Him, freedom from divisiveness, isolation, and the loneliness of sin. Now, not everybody experiences the church in this way. Some, even in the church, sadly, feel very alone. Some feel like they don't quite fit in. Sometimes we allow the priorities and the characteristics of our culture to define the way that we relate to people. We value the attractive. We value the athletic. We value the wealthy. We value the gifted, gifted in the natural sense, not in the supernatural sense. The tight relationships of a congregation like ours, the strong bonds that we can enjoy and celebrate, can yet unwittingly exclude newer members and can cause those who are outside of our community and don't know the language or the dance of our relationships to feel out of bounds. Even if they come from another congregation of similarly strong bonds, bonds, they can feel themselves as being outside of our tight-knit community. Worse, of course, are those times when we tease people when we tease fellow Christians, when we bully and gossip them, when we play on the playground and aren't kind to them, when we're on the bus and we cause them grief, when we make fun of them, when we use our size or our ability to make others feel small and insignificant, then we act more like sinners than saints, then we show the world that we don't belong to the church, but we belong to it. And our witness to the world is dim to almost nothing. For how can we say that we're Christians, united to Christ, the Christ who takes pathetic, dead sinners like us and embraces them in His love, redeems the ugly, the selfish, and the thoughtless, well, to be honest, redeems you. How can you say that you have been delivered from Jesus Christ and still be judgmental, still be cruel, still be unthoughtful, unkind to others? How can we say that we are redeemed in Christ if we act no different than our old selves? Here too we need to confess our sins before the Lord and acknowledge that we fall very far short of the calling that the Lord has placed upon us. But we also need to confess that in Jesus Christ we are given all that we need to answer this call. We need to rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus Christ has come to redeem us. To redeem us from this very divisive character and selfishness. We are not left hopeless. We are not left helpless with broken bonds and lonely hearts. No, this is the congregation of Jesus Christ, which is a place for restored relationships, renewed experiences, and support and encouragement amongst the faithful. And increasingly, people of God, let us not miss how this is the powerful witness to a world that is cratering around us and its relationships are fraying and snapping and broken. Our mere loving one another, our mere living in fellowship with one another, our willingness to put up with each other's peccadilloes and problems, our willingness to sacrificially step over the failings of our fellow members becomes a powerful witness to the world. I can't believe they say that you go to church with that one. How can you be a part of a church that that man's a part of, that that woman's a part of? We say to them, you know what, it's even worse. Not only is that man, not only is that woman a member of this church, there's even somebody worse a member of that church. And that person is me. The Lord has redeemed me and He has placed me in this congregation. And if He has called me here, then I will bless and I will serve and I will use the gifts that He given, has given me. We have an opportunity in this increasingly dark and dismal world to say to the world, come, come to the place of true community, come to the place of true encouragement, come to the place where you will be comforted and challenged to be more sacrificial and to be a greater servant. We are redeemed by Christ to live in an eternal community that will be marked not by our ethnicity or our gender or our economic status, but by our savior there is too much individualism in our world and in our churches not enough community and we need to learn to think less in terms of me and more in terms of we not diminishing or dispelling the individual but recognizing that we have been united to christ and so to each other and are part of the great body of believers that christ is redeeming and that we're going to live upon this earth for all eternity with each other If we're going to have to live with each other for all eternity, let's rejoice and be glad in it, and let's begin to love and serve one another today. And that means, as the Catechism rightly tells us in the second place, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Now, notice the specificity here. In the first part, there is a breadth and expansiveness. One and all, we're told, share in all the gifts and treasures of Jesus Christ. Here we get rather specific. Each member, we're told, not most, each. Not those who are willing, not those who are extroverted, not those who have the good gifts, each member. There is, there must be, no bystander effect in the church. You know the bystander effect? When somebody sees something happening—a crime, a matter of abuse, some act that is that they should intervene and and get involved with—and nobody does, nobody does because of the bystander effect. That can't exist in the church of Jesus. That doesn't exist in the church of Jesus Christ, where the Holy Spirit is at work. Each member, each member must serve. And notice the apparent contrast. For the catechism says, not only must we serve, we must consider it a duty. It's an obligation. You must do these things. You must. And you must do them readily and cheerfully. Doesn't that sound like our mothers when they say to us, You'll do it and you'll be happy? And we think, Wait a second, you've got to pick one because it can't be both. Usually these things are the opposite. If it's a duty, it's not readily and cheerfully. If it's readily and cheerfully, it's not a duty. But in Jesus Christ, these things find common cause. It is a duty precisely because we are redeemed in Jesus Christ and His Spirit is at work within us. But it is also readily and cheerfully precisely because the Spirit of Christ has made us to know the wonder of His love. Precisely because Jesus Christ is the head, it is a duty and something we are to do readily and cheerfully. And it is others that we are to serve. Notice the outward focus. It's not ourselves. It's not ourselves. As obvious as that may seem, it's still necessary to say it is not ourselves that are served in the church. It is others that we serve in the church. Others will serve us. They will care for us. We are to be busy caring for others. This is, you understand, uh, necessarily a challenging thing to do in the midst of a self-centered, selfish, and individualistic age we are going to go out in the world this week we're going to scroll on our phones we're going to listen to the radios we're going to watch movies we're going to watch netflix or prime or whatever else and everything we interact with is going to tell us that we deserve happiness you deserve to live your best life now you need to be benefiting in the moment you are the center of this world's universe at least that's what we should think Now, this is hardly news. It's the lie that the devil's been telling us since the Garden of Eden. It's what he said to the woman when he invited her to eat of the fruit. And we've been hearing it ever since. We've been believing it ever since. And when we see ourselves this way, as we too easily and naturally do, then everything and everyone exists to serve us. Parents exist to serve us. If they don't let us do what we want, then they're bad parents. Teachers should serve us. If if teachers give us a bad grade, it's their fault. Employers should serve us. This business exists to make me wealthy. I mean, consider, as so many of our employers know, how new employees these days come with their list of demands before they've even been offered a job. How many weeks vacation am I going to get? When am I going to get that raise? Even before they've begun, they've made their demands. Consider our... speak to our teachers, rather, and speak to especially our teachers who have been doing it for multiple decades and ask them about the change that they've experienced in parent-teacher conferences, how it used to be parents hearing about their children and going home to make sure that things were done well. And now it is teachers being told by parents how they ought to treat their little children. Consider in our own congregation, those officers of the law that must establish their own right to apply the law before a citizen will even show them respect. Why is that? Why are all of these relationships turned upside down and inside out? The answer is in the air all around us. It's because we're endlessly being told that we are in the right, that we should expect to be served, that we're the most important person in this moment. And make no mistake, that mentality bleeds into the church. We interact with fellow believers that may be like us, but may not be like us. They may demand something from us. They may require some sacrifice on our part. In fact, it's impossible to be in a relationship with anyone and not have to sacrifice for them, even to sacrifice what is your right. You may be in the right. You may have the right, but you may need to sacrifice it so that another might be blessed. Mothers sacrifice their sleep for their babies. Husbands sacrifice their their desires for the blessing of their family. Sacrifice is going to be a necessary part of any relationship. But when the spirit of this age infects us, we find that we're not so willing to accept these terms. We see others in terms of what they can and can't do for us. We make everything pragmatic. Are you a help or a hindrance? How can you make my life easier and if you can't get out of the way? We don't see people anymore as opportunities to witness, to, to show them the love of God, to walk with them in the footsteps of our Lord. Yet some of us will say, but I don't have gifts for that kind of service. Ah, but the list of gifts the Lord bestows is rather long. Before you decide you've been given nothing of it, you need to go through that list. And even the list that we give or given in Scripture cannot or is not exhaustive. Indeed, sometimes the danger is, isn't it, that we look in the list and we go, well, which, which is the one I want? Which is the gift that I think I have? Notice some of the gifts that Paul mentions, things like utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, or strong conviction in some aspect of the faith, gifts of healing, gifts of discerning, gifts of tongues. What unites all of these examples is that they build other believers up in the Lord. They are given to equip others for their service to Jesus Christ. And notice the way that some of these gifts, or the way that these gifts are all used Some are used publicly, some are used privately, some are used with great praise and others with quiet service. They're not all used in exactly the same way, they are not all applied in the same way. We are not all given the same condition. Discerning what our gifts are involves talking to family and to friends, involves following the Spirit's prompting as He gives us opportunities. It is recognizing those moments that fall across our path as the, as the man who fell among the thieves on the road to jo- or Jer- from the road to Jericho fell before the, 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 the uh, Samaritan. There are times when the opportunity to service is right in front of you. There's someone in need right in front of you. Minister to them in this moment. Maybe we find administrative aspects enjoyable and we ought to use those things. Maybe we don't find that our strength, but we're willing to volunteer our time to bake, to provide for all of the activities and works of the church's ministry to make it run smoothly. Maybe we're good one-on-one. Maybe we're good teaching in a classroom. Maybe we like seeing young people learn the things of the faith. Maybe we like ministering and visiting with the elderly. Maybe we love to serve God's people in whatever circumstance He gives us. The list is endless. The only question that remains for us to ask is where are we serving? How are we contributing to the life and the ministry of the congregation? For every one of us, as the Catechism reminds us, must be busy in service must be asking, who can I bless? The Lord has given me this wealth. He has bestowed upon me this bounty. How can I now spend it in the advancement of His church and kingdom? And when we find someone, before we turn up our nose and before we think, but they're not very nice and they don't very well appeal to me or they don't seem to be my type, let's only ask ourselves, what has Jesus Christ done for us? Seeing how the Lord has blessed us, we have every reason and motive to bless others. To bless others not out of a need for recognition, not out of a pat on the back, not out of a well done, you're an amazing person, but rather to praise and honor the Lord who has redeemed us to show the world a more excellent way, to, to testify that we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. You see, that's what all of this is about. That's what all of these moments are about. When you have someone that comes across your path and needs ministry, When you see something in the bulletin that is for prayer. When you hear somebody saying, can you come visit? We would love visitors. When you see opportunities and requests for volunteers. When you know through the grapevine that somebody is struggling with something that you struggled with. When there is an opportunity, whatever that opportunity is, for you to serve. And you can ask yourself, do I have the time? Do I have the inclination? Do I like this person? You can make a very calculated and very worldly decision or you can remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. You can remember your baptism. And you can remember how greatly the Lord has anointed you and blessed you with his love. And how he has poured onto you all the gifts and blessings of his grace in Jesus Christ. And you can say I'm going to serve. In a world of selfishness, selfishness, we can be selfless. In a world of pride, we can be humble. In a world of cruelty, we can be kind. In a world where there is no blessing, we can be a blessing. You don't understand how often it is that when families go to visit or when friends or church members visit those in hospitals, how that plays in the Minds of the nurses and the doctors who see this, who see this steady stream of people coming to visit with this member of the church and the congregation or who's in the hospital or those in the long-term care facilities, seeing all of these people coming to... How are you related to this? Oh, I'm not related to him. He's just a member of my congregation. I've just come to, to sit with him. I've just come to pray with him. I've just come to sing with him. We testify to the world. We show the world that there is life in Jesus Christ when we give of ourselves readily and cheerfully of service to one another. It's about thanking the Lord and about showing the world that there is a more excellent way. That is what the Word of God calls us to. That's what the Spirit of Christ works in us in this confession. Every time we say, I believe in the communion of the saints, we're saying, I believe I am united to Jesus Christ and an heir of all His treasures and gifts. And that having been given these gifts, I have a duty and obligation to serve So let's serve and ask the Lord for grace in that in prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we humbly acknowledge that we're not particularly good at this, that we need to be reminded a lot of what it means to be church and what it means to be set apart. We can get so comfortable with each other. We say, oh, that's so-and-so. You don't know him or his family, but they've always been that way. Or, oh, that's her. Don't pay any attention to her. She's just that way. Instead of saying there's somebody that's hurting, there's somebody that's in need, there's somebody that's challenged, who needs our love, and and we've been given gifts. We've been given gifts to write a card, to say just the right word. We've been given gifts to be able to spend time with someone and to say, you know, I have time this afternoon, and I'd like to spend it with you. We have gifts, Lord, to be able to interact with those that are up and coming in the faith and to encourage them, not to terrify them, but to build them up. We have gifts, Lord, to use in service to one another. Help us, Lord, never to make these things about ourselves, never to be proud, never to want accolades, never to wear our awards upon our chest, but instead to say, give all the glory to God. If I have been a blessing to any, Lord, it is for your praise, for you have redeemed and purchased me. May that be our confession, Lord, each and every one of us. And help us to give ourselves in service to you in love united. Help us to offer ourselves to each other for the praise of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.